0: If you have feedback for us, uh, please email feedback at voxoc.com. We had loads and loads of feedback from last week, Um, most of it having to do with, man, this is the best looking community I've ever been a part of, and yep, that was our goal. Uh, And so I want to introduce you to my friend, Melissa. Melissa, come on out. Say hi to Melissa, everybody. (laughs) Melissa, come over this way. So uh, one of the huge values we have in our community is um, telling our stories. We believe uh, that we're all in process and we believe that one of the things that's most transformative um, is permission to kind of be wherever we are. And so we have a a pretty significant value for sharing our stories. So this is Melissa and this is her story.
1: Hi everyone. Um, I have struggled with a lot of things but a couple of them have been selfishness and self-righteousness. And I just want to share with you before I tell you my whole story, a piece of spoken word that I wrote a while back. And it's about kind of my rock bottom so far, my wake-up call. And um, when I was going through this, I kind of felt like Cinderella in her pink dress after her stepsisters tore it all apart, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I've been there.
0: Yeah, so. I've been there in my pink dress.
1: (laughs) So yeah, just forgive all of the princess language. I hate the cliches of today, the perfect Photoshop Disney endings, teaching little girls that life doesn't start until you meet your knight in shining armor. But that armor turns out to have a lot of sharp edges. But you feel what you want to feel, someone holding you. You hear what you want to hear, someone telling you you're beautiful, because dad never did. And when your costumed hero decides that forever is too long, and he's gone far, far away from the mess he's left you in, you realize there are no spaghetti kisses, you're never going to a ball, and worst of all, you realize who you've become. The ugly stepsister, obsessed with a self-absorbed dream. And you're crying on your knees, but no fairy appears. And you're staring at the dress that you'll never get to wear. No dancing or cheesy duets after all. Just a small voice, growing louder. He has no shining armor, but he has on his thigh the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. A voice that could shake the earth, yet gently whispers. And he looks at you in your rags with glowing adoration coming to save, to restore, to empower, and to redefine what love is. And he's not going to change today, tomorrow, or ever after. You see, once upon a time, I was a damsel in distress. But God clothed me in strength and dignity. And now I wear the armor. And I'm not graceful, but I dance. It's off key, but I sing. Hallelujah to the love story that has no ending. So I grew up going to church. And I was always under the impression that being a Christian was about following rules. And so growing up, since I didn't cuss or drink or do drugs, I was a good Christian and I was a good person. Um, When in reality, I could be pretty darn selfish and, like I said, self-righteous. And we all know that that doesn't do anybody any good. Um, And it wasn't until the end of high school that I started to have some experiences that made me realize that maybe there was more to this being a Christian stuff than I realized. And it was about that same time that I met a boy at church, and long story short, um, I traded everything for this relationship, and it turned out to be about five and a half years of dysfunction and control. Um, I still was going to church. I was trying to be a Christian, but in reality, I was just giving it all up for this, and um, graduated college, got engaged. A month before I was supposed to get married, um, I found out that my fiance had been lying about a lot of things, and when... I confronted him, not sure if I wanted to still marry him or not. He ran, decided he wanted nothing to do with me, and I never saw him again. Um, by the time we broke up, I had no friends. And like I said, he was really controlling. I had damaged all my relationships with my family members. I had just lost my job, and I had no faith. So I really just, I had no reason to live anymore. And this was actually Easter Sunday when it all went down. So. My family was all at church. All the church people were busy putting on church. And so I was just at home alone, um, honestly thinking, what's the point? And I should just end my life. Um, I decided that maybe I should just get out of my head for a little while. So I just needed a distraction. I wanted nothing to do with God at that point. um, But I grabbed a Bible. I didn't really want to read it. I just, like I said, wanted a distraction and I opened it up to the book of Psalms and started reading through. And it's hard to describe what happened after that, but um, all of a sudden I was just on my knees, bawling. Um, And I was hit with this wave of conviction about my failures, my flaws, um, the condition of my life and who I had become. But at the same time, I had this overwhelming sense of comfort and peace and love and acceptance. Um, And I realized in that moment that, I didn't know who God was I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian um, but I was gonna find out. I knew that my life would never be the same and that look, this this Christian thing whoever this God was, I was gonna I was gonna come to find him and be in a relationship with him. Um, I started reading my Bible with a fresh set of eyes. I started actually praying. I opened up to people about my struggles and um, with people who were willing to be real about where they were at and how God was working in their lives. And day by day, I just watched my life piece back together. And it's just been um, beyond my expectations. I've been blown away by the difference in my life um, and in myself since I learned to be open about how messed up I am and open to receiving (laughs) God's grace. So yeah, it's definitely not all shiny and perfect now, but um, the difference is incredible.
0: That's beautiful, thank you, thank you so so what have been some things that God's used to bring you back to to how he really is and not how you learned he was
1: yeah so like I said I started reading the Bible for myself not just through my Sunday school mindset um, and just seeing that Jesus was all about loving the the broken the messed up the rejected um, and just as I experienced that kind of love directly like through prayer and reading scripture and worshiping, um, but then also through other people. Um, Just coming in contact with people, Christians who actually have experienced that kind of love and were willing to be open and um, share that kind of love with others. Um, It's just touched me and just seeing people who realize that being a Christian isn't just about following rules, it's about loving God, um, learning to be loved by Him, love Him back and loving other people.
0: Perfect, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So, one of the things that that strikes me um, about Melissa's story is the observation, and Jesus made this observation all over the place, that being religious is one of the best ways to hide from God. That you can, I mean, think about it, you can do the punch list of church stuff and read your Bible and pray and all the things that you would normally associate with being religious and never really encounter the God that you're supposedly doing all of this for. And so... Jesus, it's just interesting. Oh, I should introduce myself. My name is Mike, by the way. I'm the biggest sinner in the room physically. And um, that was a joke. Come on. <laughs> physically. Come on, Carolyn. Uh, and, uh, and, and so we are on a, uh, a single-minded crusade in our little community to uh, rediscover the beauty of Jesus because we think that um, we've kind of lost the plot a bit. Uh, in modern Western Christianity, and and um, and so, what what strikes me about Melissa's story is that Jesus came not just to rescue, like the broken and the addicts and the misfits and the outcasts, but he also came to rescue the religious people, who had so fallen in love with their religiousness that they'd missed him entirely. Now, if you remember last week, if you were here, this this table is uh, emblematic. Of a cultural war that was brewing in the first century today of course bathrooms are the place of cultural warfare back then it was tables that you would recline at to eat back then there was a group of people that were called pharisees and they were not all like this there were some really good ones but most of them saw mealtime as a place where you were to put on display loyalty to god the big issue with pharisees was this in the first century Israel, God's chosen people, they were occupied by Rome. And they hated, and the the Jews of the day viewed the Romans as just these pagan (laughs) Gentiles. They were called dogs uh, in a pejorative sense. And so they hated this. The Pharisees believed that the way you deal with foreign oppression is you be more spiritual, more religious, more righteous before God. So what they did is they spent a lot of time worrying about how you ate, who you ate with, the utensils you would use to eat. They had all of these rituals and all of these things that you were supposed to undergo. And one of the things that was so subversive about the the, the real Jesus is that Jesus began to share meals with people who were ridiculously unsavory, like the worst kinds of people you could imagine. And so we... we Looked last week at the idea that he was eating with tax collectors and sinners, and that's a huge deal because in the first century, when you shared a meal with somebody, it was as if you were validating them, you were sharing their status, you were accepting them. And Jesus did this often before people would even repent or get their act together. And so at Vox, we think the biggest, I know, I know, little one, I know, 20 more minutes of this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so at Vox, we think the most beautiful picture of how Jesus followers are to relate to our world is the picture of a table, and of a Jesus who invited everybody to the table, everybody to the party, the religious, the irreligious, the sinners, those who thought they were righteous, the sick, those who thought they were healthy, all were invited. And so we wanna look today a little bit at this idea that uh, people were invited and it was surprising people who were invited to this thing. Now, if you have, uh, if you brought a Bible or have one on your phone, go to chapter uh, 14 of Luke. If not, we'll put it up on the screen. But here's the idea. Jesus never said no to a free meal. And, and obviously, in that way, I'm very Christ-like because <laughs> I'm, I'm all in. And so the the thing that was amazing about Jesus when he was walking around is that he would eat with anybody, and remember, eating with people was a picture of acceptance, of kinship, of social validation, and so when Jesus was eating with religious people, all the religious people were like, yes, he's one of us, and then Jesus would eat with prostitutes, and he would eat with the outlandish scum of Jewish society, and the religious leaders would be so upset with him. So, in this particular instance, Jesus is eating a meal at a Pharisee's house. And Jesus, oh my goodness, the way that meals worked back then is you would have, it's kind of a U-shaped table, and it was really low to the ground, and it would be set in a courtyard, and that courtyard would be open to the rest of the town or the village. In other words, anybody walking by could stop and watch. The Pharisees were middle class, upper to middle class people. And so they typically next to their house would have this open air courtyard. And what would happen is the poor people, uh, the lame, the disabled, the, the blind, all of those people would gather around the edge of the courtyard, hoping first that they would get some food. But secondly, they would want to hear like the religious elite talk about big religious things. Okay, do you get the picture? You've got inside the courtyard, it's the religious people who are worried about being ceremonially clean and eating right and eating with the right people. And then on the outside of the courtyard, you have people there that were the the broken, the poor, the blind, the lame, all right? Now, in the middle of this meal in Luke 14, somebody has an epileptic, epileptic seizure. That interrupts the meal. It's on the Sabbath day. It's the day where you're not supposed to work and part of not working was not healing people whose life wasn't in danger. The seizure wasn't significant enough in the Pharisees' mind that you should heal him, but Jesus, of course, goes over and heals the dude in defiance of their rules. They get upset with him, and then Jesus, the meek and mild Jesus, begins to critique how they sit around this table. And, he, and he's like, isn't it interesting that you all vie for the seats of honor? I'm telling you the truth. You, when you have parties, don't invite people that can pay you back. You should invite all the people on the outside, the blind, the poor, the lame. God will repay you at the end of the age when you show kindness to them. Okay, so instead of being nice and polite, Jesus has kind of launched into a critique of the whole thing. Now, verse, uh, let's see, Luke chapter 14, verse 15 this, oh, this is good. When one of those at the table heard Jesus talk about the end of the age, this great thing that God was going to do someday, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, do you know how they're like religious slogans? Like, um, have you ever heard some of these? Um, Somebody, you know, something bad happens, and somebody will just say very piously, oh, well, it must be God's plan, right? And you could punch them in that moment, or, you know, I mean, you, you kind of have religious cliches. Well, this was one of those. So Jesus is critiquing this whole idea that they're throwing parties for, the, the rich are throwing parties for the rich. And he says, instead, you should invite the poor, the blind, the misfits, all gathered around the outside, and God will repay you at the end of the age, And then one of the very pious people says, Oh, blessed is the one who will share in that meal. Expecting that Jesus would go, Yep, that's so awesome, great gold stars for you. And instead, Jesus tells a story. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Now, you don't know this. But that was an opening line that everybody would have known. So if I say to you, uh, once upon a time, what do you know is coming next? What's coming next? tale. If I say to you, two men walked into a bar, what's, what's coming next? Right, a joke, hopefully. Uh, if I say to you, um, in a uh, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? We know what's coming next. What? Jerry? Now, security, we have a problem in seat 4A. Seat 4A. Thank you, Chad. Appreciate that. That was just a drill. That was a drill. This is a drill. Call it off. Code yellow. Um, when in the first century, you when, when, when somebody would say in the first century, hey, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests, That was like saying, once upon a time, everybody knew the script that went with that. The certain man was God. The banquet was the great banquet that the Jews saw God was going to throw at the end of the age that they were just talking about. And the many guests were who? A certain man was throwing a great banquet and invited many guests. The Pharisees thought, who were the guests? Them. Of course we're the ones invited. We're the most righteous in Israel, is the idea. All right? That's the script they thought Jesus was going to use. Now, is Jesus going to use that script? Nope. If we've learned anything about this guy, he doesn't keep to the script. Jesus said, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. Okay. Okay. One more bit of background, then we'll get into the rest of it. Here's how it worked. Did you have refrigerators in the first century? No. Did you, did you have any way of keeping food overnight? You didn't really, unless, obviously, it was non-perishable food. But if you were going to keep meat, right, you'd have to salt it. You'd have to, you, it was a, kind of a big process, and it wouldn't stay that long. So here's the idea. If you were throwing a party, you'd send two invitations out. Okay, the first one was save the date, all right? And it would be about a week before the party. So I'd go to Carolyn, I'd say, hey, Carolyn, we're going to have a party my place. Big feast, can you come? If you said yes, then you were obligated the next week when I sent my servant to tell you that the food was ready, you were obligated to come because I've prepared exactly enough food for everybody who said yes. And if those people don't show up, socially, uh, I'm put to shame because people didn't keep their words in honor of me. But secondly, all that food goes to waste. So the script is you send out an RSVP. And if you say yes, you are obligated to come because the host has prepared the meal on the basis of how many yeses the host got. Make sense? Mm, thank you. So what happens next is a huge deal. A certain man, God, throws a great banquet at the end of the age and invites many guests. At the time of the banquet, now today is the banquet, it's Wednesday, the banquet's this day. Go, servant, and tell all the people the meal's now ready. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. That'd be like you saying, hey, we just bought a house and I don't know what it looks like. Right? Is that a legitimate excuse? Is that a legitimate excuse? No way. No way. Nobody in the first century would buy a field and not have seen it first. You didn't have contracts and lawyers back then. The second one said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Hey, I just bought a new Ferrari and I'm going to go see if it starts. Right? I mean, you'd never, you'd never say anything like that. The third one, still another one said, I just got married, so I can't come. That's all he says. We're not quite sure what that had to do with anything. Evidently, he'll be busy. So, so, are these excuses legitimate? No, not even remotely are they legitimate. So the servant, this is in the story that Jesus is telling, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house, right? This is God in the parable. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, the very people who were gathered around. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room around the table. Then the master told his servant, go into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Now, if if you're a bit lost, yes, me too. No, not really, but here's the idea. This, the table, was a battlefield in the first century for the cultural war. Jesus facing off against these religious leaders. The religious leaders would throw banquets like this, and the poor, the blind, and the lame would be gathered around them. The Pharisees were just okay with that arrangement because you'd only throw parties for people who could throw parties for you. Jesus comes in, heals somebody on the Sabbath in defiance of their traditions, and then critiques the whole thing and says, listen, if if you're going to throw parties, throw parties for people who can't pay you back because God will. Ah, I can't wait until God pays us back, says one of the religious guys. And Jesus said, let me tell you a story. There was a master going to throw a big party. And the invited guests all had lame excuses for missing it. So the owner of the house got mad, and he invited the blind and the crippled and the poor and the lame. But even then, his house wasn't full. So he told his servant to go further. Now, in Jewish culture those that lived on country roads and in lanes, that's a way of saying they lived outside of the city. That's where the prostitutes were, that's where the lepers were, Um, that's where all the unsavory professions like if you were a tanner or if you were a dung collector, which was a real job back then, that's where all of those people lived. And so the master says to the servant, go get them, and then he uses an interesting word, he says, compel them to come in. Now, compel doesn't mean force them. Have any of you ever been manipulated, coerced, begged, bribed into like religious kinds of things? Yeah, we all know what that feels like. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here, the reason he says compel them is because these people were so considered such outcasts in the first century, they wouldn't believe that they'd be invited to a banquet like that. In other words, they, were, they, they would have felt so worthless, so ashamed, so broken that there's no way they would ever believe that the banquet would be for them. And so he says to his servant, you have to compel them. Now, I've met people like this. I had a guy years and years ago, <laughs> after a service, come up to me and say, um, I'm a pretty big sinner. And I said, yeah, me too. I'm bigger. It's a physical joke, Carolyn. Come on. He says, I haven't been to church in a while. Oh, okay. I wouldn't come either, but I work, I work for one. So I, I mean, I'm sympathetic to that. <laughs> no, I would come. I like it. Okay, okay. He says, um, he, says uh, he begins to tell me some of the things he's done. And I'm like, bro, I'm not a, I'm not a priest. so, God sees it, God, you know. And and then he says, is it okay that I'm here? And I literally had to spend 10, 15 minutes compelling him that it was okay. I just said, bro, if this isn't for you, it's not for anybody. The table is for you. It's for you. This whole thing is for people just like you. And why could you say that? Well, because Jesus told the story where the people that end up showing up aren't the religious people. They're not the people who are self-righteous. They were not the people who were so sure they were in and that the story was about them. No. What Jesus says is he flips everything upside down. He says, I'll tell you who's going to come at the end of the age. You want to know who's going to show up? It's all the broken people and all the scummy people and all the sinful people and all the unworthy people. Those are the people that are going to dine with me at the end of the age. Now, you can see why in the first century this was considered good news, right? Because the people that were sure they were in shouldn't be so sure. And the people that were sure they were out, oh, no. Jesus would go after those people and say, the table's for you. The table's for you. And that's why every Sunday, this this is the center of our service. The table's for you, because up here when you come and you take bread and you take juice, so we call it the bread and the cup. It's called the Eucharist or communion, depending on what like, religious circles you come from. The reason it's so significant is because when you come up, there aren't Democrats and Republicans. There aren't gay people and straight people. There aren't white people and Hispanic people. There, there, are, there aren't rich people and poor people. There aren't men and there aren't women. There aren't adults and there aren't kids. All there are are hungry and thirsty and broken people who have determined that there's something about this Jesus that's compelling. That's the only kind of people there are. And so often, even in modern day religious circles, this has become a battlefield. Who gets to eat of the bread and the cup? I've heard people say, listen, you've got to get cleaned up before you come to take the bread in the cup. And you know what I say to that? Well, I can't say it, because there are kids here. <laughs> but it's, it's BS. Bologna sandwich. <laughs> I mean, so, I, can, I moved out to, I'm, I'm from the great state of Ohio. Some of you know this. And, and I moved out, and, and in Ohio, we do this crazy thing. We wash our own cars, we clean our own houses, and we mow our own yards. It's this just, just weird thing. It's this weird thing we do. So I moved out to Ohio, and, um, and I realized everybody has like housekeeping and gardeners and whatever. And I'm like, oh, man, this is so fancy. But I also saw how kind of sick and twisted it is. Because I was over, uh, I, I'd just been here a couple of weeks, and I was over at this really nice house. And, and these people, and they've just become friends, and they were scurrying around, and they were picking stuff up. I mean, I was like, who's coming over? This has got to be a huge deal, right? They're all working, they're yelling at each other to get this thing ready. And I'm like, who's coming over, you know? Is it the president? Is it a governor? Is it an ambassador? What? And, and, the, uh, and I think it was the dad looks at me and he says, no, 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 the cleaner's coming. how dumb is that? Some of you, how many of you do that? You clean before the cleaner, right? You guys are idiots. You should be dirtying before the cleaner comes, am I right? I mean, you don't, you don't hire a cleaner and then clean in preparation, right? That's ridiculous. And, and, and very often, and very often in religious circles, it feels kind of the same way. Before you go to the cleaner, you've got to get cleaned up first, right? You've got to take care of yourself first, and then you can show up, and then you can come to the table, and then you can take the bread and the cup. And as idiotic as it is to clean before physical cleaners, it's just that foolish, because Jesus will walk around saying, listen, 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 everybody's loved, everyone's lost, everyone's welcome, end of story. There aren't good people and bad people who come to this table, there aren't religious people and irreligious people that come to this table. They're just broken people who come to this table. And if you're ever, and if you're here and you're one of the ones that's like, no, 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 dude, you don't, I'm surprised there there wasn't lightning when I walked into this place. If you're one of those people, the table's for you. It's for you. It's for you. Your screw-ups, mine are bigger, I guarantee it. Guaranteed, because I don't know your heart. I just know mine, and I know how awful it is. It's for you. This is for you, and you don't have to get cleaned up first. See, the promise of Jesus is that you go to him, and he cleans you up. That's the promise. So if you're doubting, if you're addicted, if you're screwed up in some way or another, and you're thinking, no, 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 no. I'm not worth, that's just wrong. We will do our best to compel you in the best sense of the world We're but then some of us are the self-righteous ones, right? God's lucky to have us on our team. <laughs> Look at how much we do for you, creator of the universe. And, and there's a sense in which Jesus would very kindly say, um, I think you've missed the plot. And very easily our excuses don't really matter much, the economy of God, if we've lost touch with our own limping, and our own brokenness, and our own failure. So this, the Lord's Supper, is for people with unclean slates. Why? Because it's the only kind of people there are, right? So what we're going to do is we are going to open up our service, and we're going to give you the opportunity to respond in, however, uh, in whatever way you'd like to do that. We're going to have a band up here and there's going to be singing. Now, I have to give you this very important disclaimer. I know there are some of you here that are not like huge church people. And I want you to know, it's really okay if you sit there and don't sing and just watch the clock. Um, It's really okay if you're kind of like, eh, I'm not super into this. These sound like love songs to my boyfriend, Jesus. Um, I'm not totally cool with this. It's really okay. There'll be others of us who are like, I love that. And they're going to be up, and they're going to put their hands up, and they're not being weird. Um, it's just this. We don't, we don't look surprised when you're at a sporting event, and people are doing this, right? Or you're at a concert, and people are just going crazy. That doesn't surprise us, right? Because human hearts were built To give praise to something. And so in this space, there'll be a few of us who will just be doing this out of respect, out of worship. And then there'll be others of us that'll just be kind of sitting there watching. And either is just fine. We're also going to open up these tables. So right here, and then there are a couple in the back for you to come up to be welcomed to the table of Jesus to take bread to dip it in the cup, and then to eat. And you can come whenever you'd like. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. No one's gonna be keeping track of seat 7A is still there. We need an usher to <laughs> compel them. Um, it's not how that's gonna work. For those of you that are practicing generosity, we have participation boxes uh, near the doors. We have, an, the, you're sitting next to some of the most uh, unbelievably generous people in Orange County who literally have supported this whole thing from before it started. But for some of us who are practicing generosity, one of the ways we do that is that we give money. And it's not because the church needs it or God needs it. It's because our hearts need the practice. And so if you want to do that, that's around there. You can put info cards there. And then the last thing we want to let you know about is there'll be some folks who will be near the communion stations that just have um, lanyards on, and they're here to pray, If there's anything we can pray for, we would be honored to pray for you for whatever's going on in your life. Sound good? Any questions? So we didn't start with two clapping songs. We just dove right in. All right, so uh, Melissa, come on out. I want Melissa to lead us in communion today. Trevor, you can come out too. It's going to be your turn here shortly. All right, so I've asked Melissa um, to introduce communion to us. And so if you would, and then if you would pray...
1: The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for second chances. Um, Thank you that all of us alike, whether we Um, came from being religious and really screwed up what it meant to be a Christian or um, came from a place of total brokenness and not knowing who you are. Lord, um, we just thank you that you invite us all to your table and you just renew us. Um, When we open our arms up to you, God, you just lift us up. Um, Would you just um, be with each of us in whatever we're going through right now? Lord, would you um, help us to have your eyes for each other, to welcome each other, no matter what any of us are going through? Um, It's just in your name that we gather together. It's in your name that we partake. Amen.
0: Amen. So for centuries, Christians have been taking bread, been taking juice or wine as the remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus. So that's what this is. This is something that's been practiced for 2,000 years. So whatever you would like to do, however God is leading you, whether you sit, you stand, you move, you don't, the table's open and it's set for you. Amen. Amen. All right, you made it. Um, couple of things. High school, college, come say hi. Everybody come say hi, but particularly high school, college. Um, number two, uh, fill out an info card or um, go on our website. Let us know you're here. We're so glad you're here. If you have feedback, feedback at voxoc.com. And I know the white towel's a bit much, right? So you don't have to email me anymore about that. I don't, I don't care. All right, I'm going to use the white towel. I used to have, here's what I used to do. Yeah, thank you. I used to, I used to use these. That's not enough for a cranium this size. That's not enough. Um, so you just have to deal with that. All right, thank you, Melissa. You are awesome. Really appreciate you sharing. Andy, am I missed anything? Just hang out, have coffee, um, play on the, on the lawn. Um, we are glad that you're here. Please meet somebody you don't know. Stand up if you would. I'm going to uh, I'm going to do a little blessing over you and uh, try to beat you out the front door. So, that's, we're going to we're going to see how that goes. <laughs> All right. Don't, forget kids. Don't what? Don't forget your kid. I already told him that. <laughs> Says the children's pastor back there saying, "Don't forget your kids." So, before you hang out, go get your kids. I told him that at the open, David. All right, ready? All right, close your eyes. <laughs> oh, that's a big jump. All right, I, I may not. Keep your eyes closed. Keep your eyes closing. Jesus, take the wheel. All right, don't look at me like that. Don't look at me like that. All right, over from over here. All right, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. We are so delighted to be together today with you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys.